Are you ready to manage your work and personal world better to live a fulfilling, productive life? Then you've come to the right place. Productivity Cast, the weekly show about all things productivity. Here are your hosts, Ray Sidney Smith and Augusto Pinaud, with Francis Wade and Art Gelwicks. Welcome back, everybody, to Productivity Cast, the weekly show about all things personal productivity. I'm Ray Sidney Smith. And I'm Augusto Pinaud. I'm Francis Wade. And I'm Mark Gelwicks. Welcome, gentlemen, and welcome to our listeners to this episode. Today, we are going to be talking about the calendar and really how to utilize the calendar to be more effective, really related to David Sparks, and some of you may know him as Max Sparky at MaxSparky.com and the Mac Power User podcast. He has been writing about something that he calls hyper-scheduling since 2018, and I thought we would actually tackle this topic in terms of just covering what he is really talking about in his series of articles around this And so in 2018, he wrote this article that he said he was experimenting over the last month, in essence, doing more deliberate scheduling of his time. And so really what it looks like is an explanation of what is time blocking, the idea of being able to uh, put blocks of time in your schedule. In his particular case, he's calling it hyper-scheduling, I believe, because he is identifying more granular times where he's doing things. So instead of, say, large swaths of time for the day, he's putting smaller and smaller blocks of time in the calendar for particular activities. And he defines various blocks, and he gives you the opportunity to be able to think about your own world in terms of what those smaller, more granular blocks could be for purposes of having a schedule that you can fall in line with as you make your way through the day. And the idea here, at least as I understand it, is that he's giving himself the leeway to change things around, but it's just a little bit more structure. He does this the night before. So instead of the morning of, he does this the night before, and he gives some uh, you know, mechanics and so on and so forth. And he's written five or six articles about this over the last three years. And so I thought it'd be helpful for us to walk through, through some of these pieces. And he's written some clarifying components of this, you know, some of the feedback he's gotten and his responses to those as well. And so let's just start off with that explanation kind of under our belt, right? This is kind of like a variant or his his take on time blocking. What do you think about this take on time blocking and what parts are good? What parts do you feel like have an opportunity for improvement? He talks about capturing the schedule initially on paper. And I've noticed the first thing is that I, I change my time blocking depending on how busy I am. So I'm in a hyper busy period this week because I have a conference coming up that I'm, I'm in charge of or I'm hosting. And every minute of every day is valuable. Um, and you know I'm swapping things in and swapping things out and pushing things till next week. I'm in that mode where you're trying to conserve as much time as possible before a deadline hits. And I normally would keep my schedule on my calendar, but the the I on my digital calendar. But the idea of going into my calendar and doing it and dragging around and dropping and then going through all the different steps that it takes for me to get to the calendar I want seems like a lot of work. So when I'm in this phase, I just made a paper calendar. I just started to write things down because 
in a minute I'm done as opposed to 10 minutes or 15 and it 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 made me think he's on to something first thing he talks about the use of uh, a digital paper entry and I forget the name you guys can you guys are experts in that area you can speak to that but it struck me that the, the interface and how easy it is to do time blocking has a lot to do with what kind of time blocking you do. Because I'm probably going to go back to using the computer, using Google Calendar or Sked and SkedPal after this week. But interesting, I think there's different approaches depending on how busy you are and how much spare time you have. And he may be hinting at that. I like the idea of that level of scheduling. I just don't think it's practical, at least not not in my world. I mean, it's, it's nice to be able to go through and say, you know, this will take 15, this will take 25, but I just don't think that works in most cases. You spend so much time monkeying around with your schedule that you almost get to a point where you're not getting anything done. I mean, I like the idea, the bigger idea of time blocking where you say, okay, I'm going to allocate, you know, two hours to work on this today uh, and set that in your schedule. But as you dig down more granular, you're getting really to the point of a checklist with times assigned to it in my book. And that's, I think there's a law of diminishing returns that starts to creep into this fairly quickly. I think this is highly dependent upon the type of work that you do and the expectations you have of the other people around you. And so if you are delegating work, if you are managing people, and if you're working in any collaborative environment, uh, many of these things are going to break down if you don't have a lot of control over your own time. And so in my particular world, where I do have a lot of control over my time, like I have almost exclusive control over my workday. And so the idea that I give control, so to speak, to others to schedule time in my calendar or those kinds of things, uh, you know, I have, I have latitude to reject calendar events, move them around, all of those kinds of things. And that does give me the ability to do some variant of time blocking if I wanted to. And so I can see this working for me if I if I liked the idea of my calendar being filled with things other than meetings. And I think just because as a GTDer, I have a tendency to think about things from a list perspective and not from a calendar perspective, you know, calendars are for meetings in my world, and then those things that do need to be done in a time frame, And that means that there's actually more in the calendar than one might think. But at the same time, I do tend to use those calendar anchors for prompting me to look at my lists for what can be done. So in essence, the, the time blocking in my world is actually a context, not a, a, a set of tasks. And that sounds to me a little bit about what David Sparks is talking about here, where he has these, they're triggers for contexts of things to do. And there's a melange there of, you know, he's got a little bit of, you know, go do X, go do Y, those kinds of things, you know, routine based items. Uh, but for me, I like the idea of saying at this particular time, I'm going to transition and you know, shift my modality from one to the next. And when I'm doing that, this is the thing I'm going to work on next. So when I look at the calendar, I can see, oh, right, in two hours, I'm going to be shifting gears to this chunk of work. And that gives me the ability to start kind of moving myself in that direction. 
which I think can be helpful. What's too small? What size time block is too little? I've worked with 15 minute blocks, but again, only in times when I'm, I'm, I have no discretionary time. Like, for example, if I'm in a situation where I have three meetings which are almost back-to-back and I only have a half an hour between each one, then I'm going to, as long as I have the energy, I'm going to schedule the time in between the meetings to do something that takes 15 minutes or half an hour. But uh, on a regular day, like Ray, I have discretion over my time and I have some discretionary time. I think it's a matter of how much slack time do you have. If you have the slack time, then... You don't need to get down to 15-minute increments. But if you're, if you're running on a clock, if you're, a, you know, if you're someone who has commitments and things you have to do at particular times, at 5 o'clock, that person is going to call. At 5.30, someone else is going to call. If you're in a situation where it's like that, then I think you go with the smaller increments. So my approach is a little different. Time obviously play a factor, but also... What is my ability to focus? Because I wish to tell you that I every day can focus 100% and be hyper-focused. And that is, at least on my world, doesn't happen. There are days that it's harder for me to focus, harder for me to concentrate, harder for me to stay in task. Those days, the time block goes smaller because I can convince, persuade, or stay on task 10 to 15 minutes that and I struggle with that and then change or continue or set another 10 minutes. When my ability to focus is high, I can set larger chunks and I'm able to stay on them. But as my attention is scattered, I need those time blocks to be smaller so I can stay on top of them. I'll just note that based on what Augusto said is that most people are in the same set of of focus times throughout their days every day. So while some of us have days that are very different than the other, that does not change your biology. So when we have a perception that for somehow somehow we have lower sets of focus at, at this moment in time, uh, the likelihood is that that's a feeling, not a reality. And so we have to remember that we have a rhythm in which we follow uh, and your body naturally is more focused during those times. We've talked about this in past episodes, whether that be the uh, concept of your circadian rhythm and following along with the ultradian rhythm, but you have these focused periods of time where you are naturally inclined to have strong executive function. Lean into those times. And if you just do a little bit of analysis, you can find those times. So that means that every day you get a repeat on that same opportunity. So even if there are some days where you may have a meeting that overlaps that, or maybe you have some crazy making that's going on in those periods of time, generally, if you can allot that time to that high focus work, you're going to be much more likely to get that kind of, uh, of, of creative or flow work done during those periods of time. So I'm going to go back to the, the size question because I still, I'm still struggling with part of it. We talk about the 15 minute interval which isn't unrealistic. Matter of fact, many calendar applications, that's the most granular level of interval that they'll provide to you. But is it really 15 minutes? I mean, we've talked about before about giving yourself time to spin up an activity and then spin it down for the next one. So even if you give yourself 
two minutes to spin it up, do the work, and two minutes to spin it down, you're really only talking about 10 minutes of active time. This is how much time are we going to spend breaking things down to little tiny things to do? I mean, I understand filler spaces and things like that, but there's a point where could this even be anxiety inducing? Because now you've got it to the, such a tight schedule and now you get a call that interrupts or something else that happens and throws the entire thing off kilter. Is all that wasted exercise then? I have my doubts. So my, my response would be to that art, which is that, you know, there is a point where too much is too much, right? Where, you know, if you, if you create too much structure, you will naturally rebel against that structure, right? There is a, a natural component there. At the same time, if you have no structure, then there is a structure, even when you don't believe there's a structure, right? So you're going to fall into path of least resistance and likely the things that you don't want to do and the things that you do want to do are the things that won't get done. So we have to balance those things out. And I think that you're right in knowing thyself in the sense of choosing the right amount of structure that's going to be the guardrails to keep you moving toward. Like staying on the road requires lines to tell you that you're staying on the road. And, you know, you could you could drive on roads without lines, but I bet you a lot of people would start cracking into each other uh, and driving off the road more often if the lines didn't, didn't exist. And so it just depends on how many lines do we need on the road, right? And how close do those lines need to be to, to each other? Francis? With analogy, I live in a country where most of the roads don't have lines. So <laughs> there is a certain mayhem that happens as a result. I'm from New York City where the roads have lines and we still don't abide by them. You'll have me him. <laughs> Those lines on New York is just as a reference. It's not to be followed. It's a reference thing for the people who come are, from the outside of New York. Pennsylvania, we hide the lines <laughs> in potholes. So oh, there you go. <laughs> you can never tell. But I was I was thinking also to add what, what I said before that they when you're on vacation, you obviously well most of us on vacation don't need 15-minute increments. So it's not like there's a hard and fast rule about which approach to use. I think it's horses for courses. You just be flexible and adapt and use the amount, use the granularity that you need to get life done and be ready to abandon it, not abandon, be ready to switch gears when life changes something else comes at you. Like, like I, for example, I can time block a Saturday fairly effectively or a Sunday without interruption. Why? Because the people who would interrupt me aren't working. So I say, okay, well, this is a great opportunity for me to get stuff I want to get done because the chances of being interrupted are really low. Very different for a Monday or a Friday. But the, the bottom line is to be very aware of the volume of time demands that you're dealing with and then adjust accordingly and not get stuck like some people do in any one particular way of time blocking versus any other it's sort of being sensitive to say okay i have this amount of discretionary time do i need to time block if i don't then i could just put one put nothing in my calendar at all and just go with the go with the appointments i, I found myself moving between the extremes and just using whatever I need to say whenever it's whatever I need to use whenever it's it's needed. I don't want to come across as 
being negative on this idea of hyper scheduling. And I realized I was doing that a little bit earlier. Um, and it, I think it's partially because I approach this from a different angle. Uh, I use what I often refer to as the Lego methodology, where within your schedule and your time blocks, there's two types of schedule or two types of time blocks. There are the time blocks that absolutely have a time constraint tied to them because they have to happen by a particular date and time. So if you've got something that has to happen by the end of the day, yeah, you block out specific time to get that stuff done. Then there's time blocks where work can get done, but the work to be done in that time block is unspecified at that point. So let's say you've got a 15 minute interval between meetings. You could block that time. And this is what I often do is I'll block that time on my calendar as a 15 minute work block. Where that comes in handy is in my task list, I have tags on a large number of my tasks that are not time specific as to the estimated duration of the task to complete. So if it's, you know, clean out my inbox for my email, that maybe that's a 15 minute task. Well, it's tagged as a 15 minute task. And if I look at my to-do list right now, I probably have about 30 or 40 15 minute tasks that are sitting in, in there that need to be done, but not by a specific date and time that when that 15 minute window hits in my schedule, I can pop over my t task list, look down that list of tags for 15 minutes and say, oh, I'm gonna do that one now and move on to the next one. So that is, in my mind, that's a type of hyper scheduling, but it's a flexible one because it allows me to decompose interruptions. So let's say, for example, I had a one hour meeting blocked out on my calendar and it gets canceled. After doing my happy dance, I realize that I've got an hour of work time available to me. Well, now I can decompose that time. That could be an hour. It could be two 30-minute tasks. It could be four 15-minute tasks. It could be, you know, six 10-minute tasks. However, I want to decompose that and apply it to the work that needs to be done, I can. None of those items are pre-scheduled as per se, but it means that that's time that's not lost. And Maybe some of those tasks are mindfulness and personal health tasks. You know, maybe it's a coffee break task that I throw in there. Great. That counts too. And I can punch through that on the list. So every day, you know, if I have a calisthenics period, I go grab my 15 minutes for that because that window of opportunity showed up. So when I think about the hyper scheduling idea, I believe that's where I struggle with it is Assuming that you have a level of control that you don't, for those of us who don't, and not being able to create a structure that we can flex within whenever we need to. And if I think about the article that we were looking at, there are some examples that kind of resonate with that, where he would have a block of time and then subdivide that block of time. Well, it's a similar principle. I may allocate, you know, three hours for, you know, QA checking on a site I built. Great. Within that three hour time period, I've got lots of smaller things and I may subdivide those accordingly. Odds are pretty good. They have a sequence to them, but they may not. It may just be work that has to be done and move along. Uh, that actually fits much closer to an agile methodology than it does anything else. I think we have to remember that everybody is unique in the way in which they respond to things. And and something you said earlier, Art, about the idea that this might be anxiety producing. For for some people, 
the amount of structure will be comforting. That is that it provides a guide rail for them that is helpful and gives them direction that they unfortunately don't want to have to create or provide for themselves in the moment. So it's just like if I was taking off as an astronaut while I'm in the shuttle, I want very clear instructions that are granular, press the red button, press the green button, press the blue button, right? I don't want to have to think, wait, you know, yesterday we kind of turned the dial some little bit to the left. I want to know exactly where I should do and what I should do it at that time in those critical moments. Um, but there are other times where I probably don't want as much structure and control because I want to be able to be a little bit more, say, let's use the word creative or intuitive. In those moments, I'm going to then, you know, lean into, um, you know, less of my executive function and a little bit more of some other part of my brain. And that gives me that level of kind of balance. And I think everybody's a little bit different. And, and I think not only are we different generally, we can be different in these very specific cases uh, to, to the point Francis was making earlier about being in a, in a hyperactive mode, right, where you have this very clear set of activities that need to be done toward a, uh, an important purpose right this moment. And therefore, the time is a little bit more structured because every moment counts. And I think that that's an important kind of piece to this whole puzzle. I will note that, you know, something that David Sparks hints at here in the articles that we're talking about is that, again, well, let me start back with the, with the, if we make the premise is hyperscheduling nothing more than time blocking with a different name. I think I can get on board with that. I think that there are so many different types of, of time blocking and time chunking. We've already had episodes on those topics. The reality is, is that he's just using a different term for what I think is the same thing. And I, I, I think I agree with Francis in that sense. What he blends in here and makes a good argument about is that for the most part, time blocking works for a lot of people, for many people. And it's important to recognize that component. It may not work for everybody. And for those people, they need to find other methodologies that do support their working capabilities, their working trends. And I think that's also a good component to having a good productivity system is to kick the tires until you find the thing that does support you. One of the things that he found to be one of the criticisms uh, that he wrote about, and I thought this was really interesting, was, you know, for those people that was basically, you know, this is just basically a controlled type of procrastination, or that hyper scheduling is unrealistic. My question for, for you all is, for the person who always has something that they want to do, where does this process break down because if the reality is is that anytime something is not in the calendar but i still have things that i want to accomplish the idea of having all of this time blocked so to speak i'm always going to fill it with something that i want to be doing so where does the system break down in terms of taking time off or maybe having open spaces where, where do you find that this system is not particularly, that the idea of time blocking will ultimately fail you? Where are those failure points for the person who finds themselves looking at a time blocking scenario and thinking, well, even if I block time off or a break, I'm still going to feel that sense that something needs to be done. The compelling notion of always feeling like something has to be done, I don't know is necessarily 
driven by time blocking and hyperscheduling, but it's facilitated. It's certainly enabled by it because you feel like if you, if you dig into this deep and you, you buy into this deep and then you look at an open calendar, your first reaction is I need to fill that calendar up. Why, why do I have such big open time blocks? I can put stuff in there. I could be doing things. It's not giving you the permission to say, no, not going to do anything right now. Not, not going to go down that path. So it creates a reinforceable structure. And this is where I brought up my anxiety point earlier. Uh, for people who struggle with, you know, executive functions, for people who struggle with focus challenges, it can be very difficult because you look at that artificially generated schedule that's staring at you and all of a sudden a small change has now put it off the rails. There's your anxiety right there. How do I get it back on the rails? You know, am I not doing the right thing? Am I not good at what I'm doing because I can't follow this basic schedule? That's what makes this difficult. So where I see something like a hyperschedule could be useful is in that same context though. And it doesn't, I know I sound like I'm saying both things, but for people who really struggle with trying to keep things on track, it can provide those guardrails, but there has to be a limit. There has to be a balancing point or else you wind up again, just working your schedule, not actually working. You, you, you asked about mistakes. I think there's a, a technique that you could that people can use in in all situations and that is to schedule in unscheduled time now that's not the same as a, a blank calendar a blank calendar a blank calendar says my priorities aren't reflected in this tool it doesn't mean that you have any flexibility at all or it doesn't mean that you're not working and it doesn't mean that you don't have a lot to do it just means that in this tool my priorities are not being captured. I think the, the, the next step sort of to go along with what Art is saying is that if you do plan to take time off or if you do plan to be extremely flexible or if you do plan to be on vacation and to schedule nothing, it's better to schedule nothing rather than to leave nothing scheduled. In other words, it's, you block out the whole day and you just say vacation starts at 6 a.m. and it ends at... 10 p.m. and you put a big old block in there and you don't think about it again after that. That's better than having a blank calendar. So if you take that extreme and pass it into the regular every day, um, each day I have a, an un, a, a scheduled block of unscheduled activity. I could use it to rest. I could use it as a buffer in case anything crazy comes in. On some days, lots of crazy comes in. So if I'm smart, I'd put in more buffer time than less. On some days, there's no buffer time whatsoever because everything is scheduled. But the 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 idea of putting in a buffer zone, put I mean, I mean putting in, I don't mean, and this is, I think, a mistake that people make when they talk about time blocking. They say, they, in their mind, they instantly translate unscheduled time into buffer time which is not the same as schedule in, scheduling in buffer time. Buffer time is a tool from, as an industrial engineer, it, for us, buffer is not just stuff you're not thinking about. Buffer is something that you actively manage. 
Um, and I think the same is true for us, a, a calendar. The time you're not scheduling, if you actively manage it, you get a different result than if you just start from empty and just keep filling until it's full. That's a very different mindset than saying, I'm putting aside extra unscheduled time in this very deliberate way. I think the two are very different. I definitely agree. And and I think it's important. I know we referenced this in the episode on uh, getting more out of your calendar, but you know, I adhere to the unschedule, uh, which is the Dr. Neil Fiore concept. And I'll link to that again in this as well uh, in the show notes, just for, for everybody's edification. But the idea here is that knowing what you're doing, even when what you're doing is not what you think as being highly productive energy expending work is still important. I, I like the way in which you phrased it, Francis, which is that, you know, uh, controlling your time is as important, being aware of the time that you're not going to be controlling, you get some better benefit out of it. So I think it's important what Francis is saying in in many cases, you know, and I, I'm a big fan of color. So I have things on on my calendar, there is a white calendar, okay? That is what I call things to know, okay, or cool to know. And there are things that I want to have on the calendar, FYI, that I have not committed yet, but I want them there and I want them to block the time or at least to have the time and consider. But there is other things, as Francis was saying, that are on my calendar on different colors. There is a black calendar in there, okay, for things that should have that. Hey, I need to make sure that my email gets clean and processed. Do that time is respected every day? No, but it's good to know it is there, okay? Do I have a scheduled meeting sometimes? Yes, I have. But again, it is important to have that time in there so that way you can recalibrate and recalibrate appropriately. So I think that's one thing where the calendar can be used much better into which it's not necessarily time you have committed or you are rigid that it's the only way it's going to happen as maybe a meeting, but it's things that are going to make your day flow much better. You know, I blogged a Friday once a month, an afternoon of a Friday, because the third Friday of a month, I tried to block that afternoon. Do that means I don't work that afternoon? No, no, no. That's so I can catch up on what has happened on the weeks prior. So do I work most of those Fridays? I end up working, okay? But what it is, is there is no meetings, no surprise. I come and then I know I can program so I can work into a much more calm state. So I wanted to do as we as we um, come to the latter part of the episode is to talk about how you would manifest if you were to do this kind of hyper-scheduling, which is more granular scheduling than, say, the traditional time blocking concept if and, and let's just take it as time blocking as well so if you were going to do that how would you do this level of let me restate that if we were going to take the the notion that david sparks is talking about here and do hyper scheduling which is more granular scheduling into your system how would you do that what would be the method or mechanisms and tools you would use to make that happen? Would you use paper and pen? Would you use a calendar application? Would you use a spreadsheet? I'm curious what the what the functional makeup of your tools would be if you were to do this. 
I want someone to invent. Uh, I don't even know what I'm talking, what I'm actually imagining. But there's a space beside my laptop, right? And I, I it has my phone. It has some papers that I catch. I write things on when I'm moving quickly. I want my calendar to be in that space. I want to press a button and I want it to appear. And I want to take a stylus or a pen and I just want to write on it. And then I want to hit a button and have it disappear. I don't want no tab tablet. I don't want a, the screen. I don't have to type. I don't have to click. I just want to be able to get in and out of it as fast as possible. So an interface that is instantly available doesn't require a keyboard, doesn't require a mouse, and just gets gets me in and out in two and three minutes. And if I could just move things around at will, I don't want I don't want the fuss of another device. But the current devices are difficult. Do you want it to be a device? You don't want it to be a device. No. So I don't want another device. Okay, so you got a yellow legal pad and a pen at this point. That's the only other option you got there, Francis. Where else do you want that to go? I want, I want better than that. You can't have I both. Want... <laughs> it either has batteries or it doesn't. You you can't. No, I saw I saw I saw I saw something. What you want a boogie board? You want one of, you want one of the dry erase boards? Because that's basically <laughs> no, what you're no, describing. I have one of those. Okay. <laughs> no, I want it to be right beside my laptop. <laughs> I'm I'm confused. I want it right beside my laptop, but I saw I saw I saw an app, uh, a device. It's a device, but it's an invisible device that projects onto your desk. So if if I could get something that could project my schedule onto my desk, and I could manipulate it right there and then without having to open anything, pick up a physical object, but I could just do it on the fly and then dismiss it. Are you were watching the Marvel Universe this weekend? That sounds something Tony Stark will have built, but I haven't seen it in any store that I can buy. <laughs> I need one of those. First piece of junk mail you get covers up your calendar as soon as you throw it on your desk. So, or your coffee mug is sitting on top of it. <laughs> right, I want to press a button and have it go away. So I want it there when I want it. I want to press a button and have the regular desk just... Okay, so aside from the sound effects and the non-existent technology. Um, I, I'm looking at the setup that I have right here. I have a tablet to my left that has my calendar displayed on it that I can just interact with the stylus and I can just tap and open things and close things and, and see what's going on at any given time. But how is that any different than just keeping your calendar in a window on your desktop? Or it, it all comes down to accessibility, doesn't it? Yeah, that's what that's a, that's. I would use a tablet too, but there's there's no space beside my laptop for a, or it's it's limited for a full tablet, and I don't want it there just to manage my calendar. It's too much device for a single application. But it doesn't have to be. I mean, I, I, like I said, the tablet that I've got set up here, and I'm not advocating just a tablet. I'm just saying because it's another screen, and it's a little screen. In this case, it's a ten inch screen. I can do all kinds of stuff on it. I can pull my notes up. I can access everything else because it's all synchronized in the cloud. But for the purposes of what we're discussing, it's very useful for that kind of calendar display. And if I was going to operate digitally for this hyperscheduling, that would probably be the way I would do it. And the reason why I say that is, is 
because the calendar that I have on that tablet, I can also ask access from my desktop. So if I'm sitting in Outlook and I add something to the calendar there, it appears on this magical little display to my left. So I know that stuff's being tracked and being taken care of. Uh, I've seen it where you... Oh, that's not a bad idea. I mean, it, it works fairly well. I mean, especially if you're in a setup where you have dual monitors or something like that. Again, we're talking about opportunities to have, you know, again, an expanded amount of tech. Um, but you could flip it around just as easy. You could have just take your, you know, your legal pad and write down your schedule for the day and just lay it off to the side. The only hang up I have is everything has to be on the right side because I'm so right handed. My left side's useless. Uh, but that that kind of thing makes it easy to at least track. If I could get if I could get a, an arm for my tablet with my calendar on it, that's that's similar to what. So it's not lying on my desk and taking up precious real estate. I have two layers. So there is a layer on the top where the camera that we are going to talk talking right now. Yeah. And I have an arm that that has the devices. So I have a device where during the workday when I'm sitting in here, my iPad mini basically works as a calendar and it has a screen split, calendar on a half and to do is on the other half or or not be teams depending on what I'm working on. But that's the only function of that device during the day. If I am not in a conference call, it's that. If the only moment it changes when I'm doing a video call because that's where I'm doing the video calls. I'm happy to, um, but, it's an, but it's a tablet. It's an iPad. In my case, it's an, it's an iPad. I'll send you my address. <laughs> my concern with any of these types of technologies is that for me particularly, if it's out of sight, it's out of mind. And so I am very fixed on the activity that I'm doing. And whereas some people think about the uh, the the problems with multitasking. I am a single tasker uh, to a fault, <laughs> and so you know, like if there are other things going on, I'm I am I'm processing a single thread at any given time, and I don't like to be interrupted in that thread. Even when other people come to me with other issues, I, I have to stop them because the thread that I'm on needs to be completed before I will convert to that next thread. And uh, not only do I do that purposefully, but I just am predisposed to that. And so what I try to do as much as possible is to give myself cues that shifting needs to happen at some point so that I can start to decelerate and do the acceleration on the other side. And so having multiple screens have those things available to me is really helpful. So to your challenge, Francis, akin to what I think Art is talking about here is that I have this second device here with the calendar and task managers and project managers to the side here. So my primary work is being done in front of me, but I always have off to the side this particular machine that is just running calendars, tasks, projects, and otherwise. It's always a fingertip away. And I have it so that the screen just turns off after a few minutes. And then if I ever want it, I just tap the screen and it activates again and all of those things are there and available. So it's a useful premise to have that there just so that you're capable of like, okay, what's the next thing that needs to happen? Great, I can check that off. And I also, 
am a big fan of this is why I continue to use Remember the Milk. I have Remember the Milk take over the entire screen for the singular task I'm working on so that I cannot see any of the other tasks. And so I actually have it just do that one thing in front of me. So I have it just take over the whole screen. That's the only thing appearing on the screen. I don't want any other distractions. And that also allows me to annotate that task as I'm working. So as I'm working on something, I can just reach over and type a few words as to what is going on with this particular task, such that if I do get interrupted, then I can switch gears quickly, but I know where I left left off because the task was open and available to me to annotate as I was making my way through. So that really allows for that switching that is for me necessary. It's just not my natural skill set. It's not something that I, I lean into in terms of, of things. And I know that a lot of people are natural multitaskers, so to speak. Uh, I am not one of those people. And I don't like doing it. And I feel like it makes me less productive on top of all those things. So it's not only a principled approach, but it also happens to be my natural way of being. And this gives me at least some uh, modicum of control in that space. My phone is set up now on my right-hand side. And the only thing it's displaying is my calendar. And I have that the calendar block shown up and I have it just in the day view. And I can see exactly what's coming up on my calendar just on my phone. And it's out of the way. In that in that kind of stand-up device? Exactly. So it's it's just a, a desk desk. dock. It's not That's laying all. on the desk. Yeah, just a little desk dock. It's a desk dock. Okay. The, here's the other thing I'd love to have. How about a voice interface for the calendar? It's called Google Google's Assistant. Google for appointment to 4 o'clock. Google Assistant will do that? Yeah, Google's, Google definitely has your back there. Yeah, Google can do all of that today. News to me, can I, it'll take a calendar. So it'll see, you can see a schedule, schedule time to work on the paper at four o'clock. Yes. But I've tried, I've tried Google. Is it assistant on my, on my Android phone? Yes. Well, that's all, uh, that, that, this takes me into a whole new realm of opportunity and possibility. Thanks, guys. So that folks kind of have an idea. When you, when you ask the assistant to do certain things, you are asking them on on kind of three levels. One is you can enter something into the calendar. And so you could just say, you know, you know, schedule this particular thing. Uh, Then you can ask it to remind you to do something. And that, you know, remind me too is a trigger for it to create a task to remind you to do something at that particular time. And then of course, there's a setting of timers. You can name those timers so that you can say, I want to be done with something by X amount of time, or I need to shift gears and leave for my next meeting by X amount of time. And so you can tell it, you know, set a timer called, and then whatever you want to call it. And I find that to be really useful, because it's not about starting something at some point, it's about ending something at some point, And that helps you shift. So I can have something end and trigger me. And then I know, okay, now I have 15 or 20 minutes to get to the next place. So I need to wrap up what I'm doing right now and make that transition. And then that next calendar event is there waiting for me. So you can, you have all three of those things all done by voice from within the assistant. Oh, I welcome, I welcome an article on this because I've, I've never, I would love to. I will put uh, links to all of the support articles for Google into the show notes for everybody. Yeah, it's very, very powerful. I haven't tried Google Assistant in a while because when I tried to do the things I'm talking about a few years ago, I was like, you gotta be kidding. It was, I couldn't figure out how to do it and I gave up and I said, this is only good for running, opening an app and doing basic stuff and I quit. It has come a, it has come a long way. All right, any final thoughts for folks about hyperscheduling and tools associated with hyperscheduling? Uh, yes, I I wanted to 
I think you make a great point. The, the, the scheduling is key, but also part of that hyper scheduling and time blocking is people tend to think, and this is when I need to work. And one of the things that are key is how you are going to manage those transition points. That's what we had just discussed at the end. It is really important. Okay, when is the next transition point and how I'm transitioning from this point to the next one. And I think there is not enough time on in most people have not spent enough time really perfecting that transition points. So they come and work the blocks, but then the blocks doesn't work because they get stuck into the process or the process prior gets a little bit longer. So it is really important to make sure that you work into both the transition points, how they should end, and how the next one should should start. I will close out with just a little bit of conversation on the idea of perseverance when it comes to any level of time blocking or hyper-scheduling or otherwise. It's very easy to create a schedule, and then as David Sparks talks about, you know, cha things change, and therefore you move them around. But if you move them around too much, then there comes a sense of, well, nothing is really fixed, fixed, so I can just do anything whenever, and therefore you start to procrastinate or just play Tetris with your calendar for the sake of it. It becomes a game for it becomes lucery, and that is not necessarily useful to you. So if you do feel the sense of something appears in your calendar and you feel that level of resistance to doing it, lean into the resistance. Be uncomfortable for a little while and work through it. Uh, your brain is, is a very good energy-saving device and it likes to save energy. And so it will just say, okay, let's do nothing as opposed to doing that thing. But if you if you just stay with it long enough, give it a few minutes and you will see that if you just take action, you will inevitably find momentum with regard to those blocks of time. And that's very, very powerful to just overcoming that iner inertia, so to speak, when it comes to, to being productive. And that will make your time blocking more effective over time. And that, of course, will then reinforce uh, you overcoming any levels of procrastination in the moment that you might find. And so good luck with that. And so this brings us to the end of our conversation, but certainly not the end of the discussion. So if any of you would like, uh, you can head over to the podcast episode page at productivitycast.net. There on the podcast website at the bottom of the page, you can leave a comment or question. And of course, we read uh, all of your questions and comments. And if there's a response necessary, we will go ahead and do that. Uh, you can always find every episode by the three-digit number. So if you go to productivitycast.net forward slash 001, you will get to episode one. Episode two is 002 and so on and so forth. So um, feel free to find those. On each episode page, you'll find our show notes. You'll find links to any of the things that we discussed, and also text transcripts, the both in a readable format that you could just expand and read on the page, as well as one that you can download as a PDF. I want to express my thanks to Augusta Pinaud, Francis Wade, and Art Gelwix for joining me here on Productivity Cast each week. You can learn more about them and their work by visiting productivitycast.net too. I'm Ray Sidney Smith, and on behalf of all of us here at Productivity Cast, here's to your productive life. That's it for this Productivity Cast, the weekly show about all things productivity, with your hosts, Ray Sidney Smith and Augusto Pinaud, with Francis Wade and Art Gelwicks.